Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. If this is your first time with us, would you raise your hand? Hey, all right, hey. All right, give them a round of applause. Welcome, you're very welcome. Uh, my name is Ryan. We are in the final stages of our million part series on the spiritual gifts. Tonight, indeed, is the very last spiritual gift on our list. If you've missed all previous 20, you can go back and listen to the podcast and they're all there. But tonight, we're talking about the gift of faith. Now, I, now I know um, in, in my life and in the lives of many people um, in our community, there's been a lot of highs and lows recently, whether we're talking about within our church or we're talking on the world stage. And I think now is such an amazing time for us to reorient and come back to this idea of faith. So this is going to be my thesis for you tonight. Faith is abiding in who God says he is, even beyond our current experiences of him. And I love this idea that faith is when we abide. We did this whole series last year called Abide. We talked about the very nature of that word is one in, that, that encompasses so much of our relationship with God. It means that we believe in who he says, but we live in the reality of who he says he is and what it is that he's doing in us and through us. And so the idea of abiding in the truth of God, who God says he is, inhabits and interacts with every piece of our lives. And it's important that we recognize with the spiritual gift of faith that we're talking about beyond our current experiences, that each of us have come into this room, we come into community with a limited understanding of who God is up until this point. And it's what we share of our own stories that actually builds up faith among, um, among the others. But it's also beautiful when we come in open-handed to receive new stories that we are able to receive an increase in the gift of faith. And so let's pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are in this place. Hallelujah. Lord, you are with us. You are for us. You are not against us. Lord, we welcome your spirit more and more and more. Would you speak to each of us? Would you animate us in such a way that we find ourselves purely in this moment, Father, because I believe there are things that you want to teach us today. There are places in our lives that you want to touch and redeem and restore and realign with your kingdom. Lord, we come in with seeds of faith, but may they grow. May they be watered by your spirit. May they be breathed upon by your son, Jesus. That we leave this place a little bit more transformed. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing into your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So the gift of faith, the gift of faith is abiding in who God says he is, even beyond our current understandings of him. This is another one of those gifts, like the gift of mercy, that kind of undergirds all of the other gifts. As we've gone through these gifts, we looked at you know, the fivefold ministry, we looked at the, the miraculous and demonstrative gifts, we looked at the gifts that are kind of the fabric of the culture of a church, and now we're looking at these two foundational uh, gifts, mercy and faith. And faith, it's imperative that this is one that we find beneath all of the other gifts. It acts as that foundation that props up the rest of them. And even below that, we find 
the gift of mercy or compassion. And there are so many places in Scripture that we could go when we're talking about faith. But I, of course, want to talk about our father, Abraham, who had many sons. And many sons and daughters had father Abraham. So we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 11. If you have never read Hebrews 11, that is the go-to place for the idea about faith. The, the writer is talking about what faith looks like in action and gives us all of these little snippets of stories from the Holy Scriptures of people that have come before us and demonstrated what it looks like to live a gift uh, by the gift of faith. And so the writer says this in verses 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. If you're in this room and you're producing a television show and you want to do one all about faith, use Hebrews 11 as your script, as if it hasn't already been done before, but maybe you will do a better job. So there are all of these different stories about people who lived by faith, but for there, perhaps no one has had greater faith than our father Abraham. And so I want us to jump into his story. If you recall, the very first part of Genesis talks about God's creation, that it is very good. He puts people in his garden. There is the fall of man. And then we see the ripples or the effects of the fall that chapter after chapter, mankind continues to move away from the grace of God, continues to move away from the presence of God. And at the end of each story, it says, and they moved east. And they moved east. And they moved east until finally we come to the story of Babel in the place called Shinar, which is modern-day Iraq. And in, when the scriptures were written down, this was the place that you could not get any farther from the graces of God. Later on, it would become known as Babylon. And so the story kind of disperses from there as we see civilization building and then people scatter because of their lack of humility. And then the story focuses in in Genesis 12, chapter 12, with a man called Abram. And we don't know much about Abram at this time, but we do know that in the early type of civilization that Abram would have lived in, they experienced life primarily in a cycle. We think about things in a straight line, they would think about cycles. They lived their lives according to the seasons. And every year is pretty much the same as the year that came before. And in that perspective, then, our lives are pretty much the same as the lives that came before. It was very normative in these early cultures that you do what your father did before you, and your father did what your father's father did, and so on and so forth. And everyone was in this cycle of life. And we're about to see this revolutionary act in the story of Abram when the voice of God speaks to him. In Genesis 12:1, it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, this is an absolutely revolutionary idea in the day and age of Abram, and even in the day and age in which this was written. Because people found their identities in the surrounding land. They found their identities based on who their tribes are. They found their identities on who their family is and what they have and how they work the land. They were rooted people which kept them in these cycles. But all of a sudden, God, Yahweh, comes to Abram, and we don't know how much he has had an encounter before. We don't even know how he is able to recognize the voice of God. But he hears that one magical word. Go. Go. Pick up. Move past all of the things that you find your identity in, all the places that you find comfort and security, and go 
to the place I will show you. You see, Abram was pulled out of this cyclical understanding of how history works and is all of a sudden sent down the path of the unknown by a voice that says, go. What we find immediately is that this voice makes a promise to Abram. He says, I'm going to give you children. At this point, Abram's 75. He says, I'm going to give you children and they're going to be the seed of a great nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And through the nation that I give you, I'm going to bless all other nations and I'm going to bring them back into my embrace. And, and there are several moments in this story where Yahweh reiterates this promise to Abram. And there's even one point where Sarah's in the corner making cookies and she hears this promise and she starts to giggle to herself. And the angel of the Lord says, why did you just laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he says, yeah, you did. And then the story ends. It's a little strange. But Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. And they continue to wait. And they wait 25 years until the child of promise and Isaac is born to them. And I love that story because after 25 years, Abraham is 100 years old. And you can just imagine this God has given you this promise and the days and the weeks and the months and then the years and then the decades pass. And with every day, does it not seem a little less likely that you heard correctly? That maybe you're crazy. Maybe you didn't really hear right. I can only imagine the joy in that household when that child was finally born. And Abraham and Sarah named their child Isaac. And Isaac, of course, means he laughs. Because Sarah's chuckling at how incredulous this sounds that a 75-year-old barren woman would be able to have children now laughs out of joy because of the faithfulness of God. Have you ever had to wait by faith? Have you ever had God speak to you a promise and you've been invited to wait? How long are you willing to wait? How long are you willing to wait? Are you waiting to wait 25 years? Like the Israelites later in the story, are you ready to wait 40 years? Like many of the people that, were, that are in Hebrews 11, are you ready to wait even when waiting pa passes the grave? When waiting is on the other side of death? Have you ever had to wait by faith? So Abraham bears, or Sarai bears a son to Abraham called Isaac. And when Isaac's about 13, we find the story that I want us to focus on tonight. In Genesis chapter 22, it says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, and sometimes only, it's your only begotten son. Because we know there's the other son, Ishmael. He was not the child of promise, but was Abraham trying to make the promise come true by his own strength. But you come, take your son, your only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, can you imagine? Now, the Bible does not give us a whole lot of emotional context with these stories, but can you imagine what it's like to be Abraham and Sarah, to wait 25 years for the promise to come true. And with every passing day, it seems a little less likely. 
the joy you receive in the face of that child and then being asked to sacrifice him, to give him up, to give him away. You know, often when we talk about the heroes of the faith, we often remove their, their humanity. The fact that these people were like us, they lived and breathed like we do, they felt like we do. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's head? The confusion. Does this sound like God? Does this seem like the God who has promised that this is going to happen through my seed? The inner turmoil that Abraham must have been experiencing in that moment. What, what does Abraham do? Does he argue with the voice? He says, no. No. Early the next morning, he raises, he raises up. He prepares Isaac. He gets his servants and his supplies. And he begins the three-day journey to Mount Moriah. We continue reading in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Is this the moment that Abraham's heart breaks? As his child, not understanding, his child, ignorant, comes to him and says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? We have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Is this the moment that Abraham's heart breaks? When he realizes what it is that he's about to do. Does he realize the crisis of faith that he's inviting into his son, Isaac, the child who is to be the promise? When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only begotten son. And of course, Abraham looks to the side, and there's a ram with his horns cut in the thicket. And Abraham goes over and captures the ram and sacrifices it to Yahweh, and he calls that place, the Lord will provide. And the voice reiterates, the promise that had always been there. But as the writer of Hebrews surmises, perhaps Abraham received the promise back all the more gladly the second time and his willingness to sacrifice the promise. He was in a better position to read it than before. How did Abraham wrestle with being faithful? You know, when we enter into this world and we become self-aware, we learn how it is to make decisions. And usually where we begin is the place of aesthetics, that we make decisions based on pleasure and desire. And we go out into the world and we say, what is it that I want? What do I desire? And we make decisions based on that. But before long, we realize that even in our own desires and our desire for pleasure, those things aren't always truly fulfilling. They are not what they seem. And this is the place where we begin the movement from making decisions based on aesthetics to making decisions based on ethics. 
and ethics and morality is the place where we say, I know what I desire, but what is actually best for me? What is good for me? And even from there, we make the second move in the ethical stance to the place of, here's what's best for me. Now, what's best for the people around me? As Christians, we are called to have upstanding ethics and morals. Amen? You, you with me in that? And it is wonderful that we learn these valuable ethical lessons from scriptures and from our families and from our church. But guess what? There are ethics outside the walls of the church. There are very wonderful ethical people that do not know God. It is not an ethical life that separates us from other people. And I believe this is the next movement that we make in decision making. It's the place of moving from ethics to faith. And this is what we see in the story of Abraham. No longer was Abraham making decisions based on what is pleasurable, for certainly it would be pleasurable for him to keep his son alive and the joy that that son brings to his household. But Abraham transcended aesthetics, moved to the place of ethics. And the ethical questions are, is it wrong for me to murder the innocent? Is it wrong for me to murder the child? Is it wrong for me to sacrifice the promise that God made me? But even there, Abraham, in order to live by faith, had to transcend the ethical argument because he was no longer making decisions based on right and wrong. Abraham was making decisions based on what is God's intent and desire. And even if I have to leave behind the ethical I'm going to do this. The 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard calls this the leap to faith. Sometimes we also say the leap of faith. But I believe that the leap to faith has to have the seed of faith originally given in the initial encounter with God. And by faith, we step into faith through faith. And we begin to see our faith increase. Abraham lived according to the promises that God had spoken over him but he was willing to sacrifice the promises of God for the sake of intimacy with God. That will preach. Do you hold so tightly to the promises of God that you're not willing to let them go for the sake of intimacy with God, of abiding with Him, of being with Him, of relationship? Too often we put the promises of God as the, the ends unto themselves, and intimacy with God is something we do to get what it is that we think that we deserve. But do we carry the promises of God open-handedly enough that if He requires them of us, we will let go of them because it is not worth us losing intimacy with Him. And I believe that when we walk that path of faith, God hands back to us the promises that He's given us because He knows that we're responsible enough to carry them, that we will not find our identities in the promises of God themselves. We will not turn the promises of God into idols but we will hold them as examples of the intimacy that we have with him. And this is what we find in the story of Abraham. And Abraham saw the seed of the promise in Isaac, but he did not live to, to see the fulfillment of that promise as burst out into the world through Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 11, it says this at the very end of the chapter, none of them, speaking about all the stories that have come before, received what has been promised since God had planned something better for us, that's you and me, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
And so Abraham never lived to see the fulfillment of that promise, but he did see the seed. And that was enough to keep him going until the end of his days. And then we see the fulfillment of that promise in Christ Jesus, who rises up as the last high priest, as the Messiah, as the anointed one who carries out the fulfilling vocation of Israel to bring the good news that God desires reconciliation with his creation to all nations and to draw them back into his embrace. And we get to live in the reality of that promise and see it fulfilled with all of those who have come before us. Now, what was the source of Abraham's active faith? As I said, there was a seed of faith planted in encounter. And that seed of faith was enough for Abraham to take out one step when God said go. And then take one more. And then one more. And the more that Abraham was obedient to the voice of God, the more that seed of faith was grown into its fullness. But that seed of faith, that initial seed of faith, was enough for obedience. When we immerse ourselves in the character of God, we move from the world to the kingdom as our center of gravity. Do you know that the character of God is also the fabric of his kingdom? Let me say that again. The character of God is the fabric of his kingdom. If you cannot recognize the character of God, you will never see the kingdom. If you have no encounter of the kingdom, you will never know the character of God. And I find myself all too often in my life, though glory be to God, by, by his grace I'm finding my citizenship gradually being shifted into the kingdom. But oftentimes we think of history as this cold and rigid plan that every once in a while we're, we are invited to make, to, we invite God to make a cameo in our story somewhere. But history is just perpetually moving on by itself with, with or without our help. And sometimes we pray to God and sometimes he shows up. Again, is this is that false, dualistic, Epicurean God that has more to do with Zeus than it does with Yahweh. God doesn't make cameos. God doesn't show up every once in a while when we invite him because the story is God's story. And when we live by faith, when we immerse ourselves in the character of God, we move out of that understanding of history that we find in the world and we move into the kingdom of God where we see that history is the progressive revelation of the character of God. That the more the story is told, the more the character of God is made manifest. And the more the character of God is made manifest, the more his kingdom advances and redeems and reconciles and restores the broken pieces of the story. This is why I believe that there are many people walking around today that have a gift of faith and do not know it. I said this several times, but I believe so many of the spiritual gifts that we've talked about up until this point are things that have been woven into our spiritual DNA since before the time that we were born. Perhaps this is part of your story. Perhaps this resonates with you, that before you met God, you still have seen, when you look back, evidence of those spiritual gifts in action. I once had a student um, in my ministry school in Nashville, who told me that even before he came to know the Lord at 16, he had these very strong convictions towards judgment and just felt like he could immediately discern the intentions of the people that were surrounding him. And when he was won over by God, God began to redeem and realign the gifts that were there since birth 
and bring them into the fullness of the kingdom. And they became incredible assets for his contribution to the kingdom. And so I believe there are many people that have gifts of faith that are not part of the kingdom. Many of them are called politicians. Because what is a gift of faith at its core? It is this resolute conviction to the way in which you have received that the world operates. And regardless of the circumstances that surround you, you hold fast to that thing and you continue to pursue whatever it is you've been told is truth. And do you know, we not know people like that all around the world, that they have this gift of faith and God does not give a gift and then steal it back when we abuse it. But God gives us gifts in hopes that we will recognize his fingerprint in our lives and draw us back into his embrace so that he can take that gift and show us how it is to properly be used. But this is what we see in Abram when God says, go and I will show you. Abram moves from an understanding of how the world works and being established and rooted in the soil and in family and in tradition. And he leaves all of that behind and he reorients his understanding from the worldly understanding of things to the character of God himself. And he is obedient to that voice wherever it might take him because he inherently trusts that voice is the right story to play out. So for, for our gifts of faith to be healthy, it must be directed back to God. And we have to submit to him our understanding of how things work. And obedience is key in developing faith. And a major part of this is that we as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, begin to live by faithfulness over and above the world's determination of what success is. Or what the world tells us is valuable. I've used this quote several times, but Mother Teresa says, God does not require our success. He desires our faithfulness. And see, when we begin living by faith, we release the outcomes of things and we put them firmly in the hands of God. And we step out of the narrative that the world is telling us to say, this is what it looks like to be successful. This is what it looks like to have value. These are the things that you're supposed to be chasing after in life. These are the kind of people that are worth your time. And these are the kind of people that aren't worth your time. And this is the kind of person you want to be if you really want to make it in this life. And we abdicate all of those things. And we turn our eyes towards Father God. And we invite Him to define it. We invite him to show us where it is that we shall go. And he walks us out to the horizon of the promised land. And we begin to root and establish ourselves in faithfulness. Are you faithful to the things that you're pursuing in your life? The way you choose to live your life day by day. Are you choosing to be faithful to what God has said? Are you still living according to some other narrative? that's told you what success is supposed to be or the things that are, how things are supposed to be valuable? Can you release and submit those things to your Father in heaven and trust that the definitions he has for you are far greater? Amen. How do we come to know the character of God? How do we immerse ourselves in the character of God? We've spoken before of revelation. I believe there are three kinds of revelation. There's revelation through the scripture that we begin to read the story and we see the character of God as it is progressively revealed from Adam to Jesus. 
And Jesus being the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his character. Jesus being the lens through which we read all other stories. If it doesn't ring true in Jesus, it doesn't ring true. And we encounter living relationship with Jesus through Scripture. Secondly, the revelation comes through the encounter with the Holy Spirit. That God gives us his, his Spirit. He breathes into us. Just as Janae was speaking about last Sunday with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He puts His Spirit in us and He also puts it on us and conforms us to His likeness. And we begin to understand because we learn to hear what His voice sounds like. And we learn to begin to recognize His fingerprint and we push aside all of the counterfeits and we, we increase our fidelity to Him. And then the final form of revelation is through the people of God, the testimony of the saints, those who have come before us the ancients that speak out to us through the words of Scripture, the ancients that we, that we celebrate in the church as the, the, the mothers and the fathers and the brothers and the sisters that have gone before us and have given us the legacy of their stories of how they've lived by faith. But we also live by the testimonies of faith of those that we surround ourselves with on a day-by-day -day basis. That as you and I come in here, as we increasingly attempt to live God's story, we share that story with one another in a way that it shows us what's possible. And the more that we come together, the more we reveal the character of God to each other. And the kingdom is found among us and between us and through us. And we're brought into a greater level of faith. And the more that we, the more that we know God, the more that we can trust in Him to lead us. And I believe that this keeps us from recklessly testing God or assuming things of His kingdom. Sometimes we call it faith, but it's really foolishness. Because it's something that God never asked of us. It's not something that fits in with his character. And we assume things because we don't actually know him. But there's a difference between testing God and trusting him. And so how does the gift of faith change our current reality? I don't believe that faith can be manufactured. Faith can only be given to us by God through the Spirit, that initial seed in encounter. So I want to speak about how we receive faith and then how we offer. First, receive. The person of faith is sensitive to the world around them, yet lets God's truth interpret their present reality. Faith does not inoculate us from the trials and tribulations of life. Many times when we speak of faith, we want to squinch up our eyes and close our fists really tight and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, hoping that maybe all the bad things will go away. Maybe the bad people will leave us alone. But that's not faith. When we really trust God, we find ourselves fully present in the current realities of our lives, but we allow God's truth to interpret reality and not the other way around. Can I get an amen? Too often we allow our current, ex current experiences and how we feel in the moment to determine what we think about the truth of who God is. But we've got it backwards. When we live according to faith, we live according to what has not yet been seen based on the character of God and the progressive story of God. And we let the truth of who God is interpret our present moment. And it's so important that we're able to be fully present to say, Lord, here's what's going on in my life. Here's how I feel. Here's what happens is happening. Would you give me an illumination of faith to recognize your truth, who you are, what you say about me, what you have called me to do and called me to be? Do we not see this beautifully typified in the story of Jesus when he realizes his friend Lazarus has died? 
And Jesus goes to the village, and these are people that he spent a lot of time with, especially Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're all weeping, and Jesus is overcome, and it says Jesus wept. Now, we don't know why Jesus wept for sure. It doesn't tell us. Perhaps he's just so moved by the lives of those around him and their brokenness. Perhaps he's moved because Lazarus has died. But don't think for a moment that that Jesus was any less faithful at that point than he was when, when Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Because Jesus allowed himself to be so fully present in the moment that he felt the full weight of it, and he mourned with those who mourned, even though he knew what was to come. He knew by faith that Lazarus was going to walk out of that grave, but he still allowed himself to be present with those who were hurting and broken and allowed himself to feel Sometimes we hide away our feelings and we call that faith. But we're actually preventing ourselves from being fully in the moment and accepting the authority that can come from that. This is how we receive. But this is how we offer faith. The person of faith actively unveils God's truth so the kingdom may advance. People with the gift of faith have very deep convictions of what is true. They're so resolute in in holding true to that that it seems like they cannot be swayed by their current realities. But those people also keep the rest of us centered on what matters when we're being tossed back and forth by the waves of the things happening in our lives. We need people that have a strong gift of faith to lead that conversation, to say, hey, I know what's going on in your life right now. I know that you're hurting. I know that you're lost. I know that you're confused. But let me in love speak to you the truth of who God is and what he says about you so that you might persevere and walk through this painful time and come out the other side a little bit more in love with God. And I love that James, blessed James, writes this in the second chapter of his letter. He says this, but some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's what they do. Because guess what? Faith is belief with action. And even demons have faith, twisted as it is, that they believe that there is one God and that leads them to action. And that is to shudder in the presence of Christ Jesus because they know what's coming to them. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. When we step out in that seed of faith and are obedient to what God is calling us to do, our faith is made complete in that moment. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. When you came in tonight, you were given a piece of paper, and at the top of that paper it says this, in which area of my life do I need more faith? And I'm going to invite you to hold that in front of you and consider that question as I invite up my dear friend and one of our elders, Lander Rourke, to come and share. Now, I said this. Yeah, go ahead. I said this in the first gathering. Um, it's no secret that Lander and I don't always agree on everything. 
And if you know either of us, you know that's not a surprise. I like shoes. He likes bare feet. What happened? But, but we are united in our pursuit of God. Okay, I need you to hear this. Lander and I are pursued, united in our pursuit of God. And everything else becomes discussion where we are learning to sharpen one another and to encourage one another to step more into faith. And I've had the honor of walking alongside of this man for over two years now. And I am so taken by the gift of faith that he has demonstrated. And what I have learned, what I have gleaned from that, what it looks like to live with that impassioned gift of faith. And so I want you to receive the words that he has tonight. When we were praying before the gathering, the Lord gave me this image of, of that I was called to build this bridge and that Lander was going to come alongside of me and we were going to lift up this bridge, this ladder, and place it up against heaven. And as I held the base of the ladder, Lander was going to walk up into heaven and to bring down the fruit that God has for us tonight. And so I want you to listen to this man, to consider what a life of faith looks like in action. Amen. It really helps when somebody introduces you with a picture like that. All right. Um, and now time to get really serious really quick. Um, when I was back there, I just really felt like uh, this really strong thing. Um, many people here, um, I'm, this is specific, I just felt like people um, wonder why they don't walk in uh, more extreme things, and but they step back and they surround themselves. Ryan was talking about immersing yourself like in the character of God. People step back and they surround themselves and they immerse themselves in a world that tells them how things should be and just like fills them with unbelief. You know, too many people entertain unbelief. There's no place for unbelief in a believer. You know, unbelief and believer, those things are incongruent. They don't fit together. You know, we need to be surrounding ourselves and immersing ourselves in environments of that stir up our faith, that build up our faith, right? Um, so practically how this looks, well, I'm not going to get to the thing yet. Um, is practical. <laughs> um, I, I set, I settled in my heart a while ago that I don't want to wait until I'm in I don't want to wait until my loved ones are dying to practice getting people healed. You know? When you're face to face with a loved one that's suffering from whatever, cancer, this or that, and your emotions are like bound and gagged, that's not the best time to be learning how to like walk in some of this stuff. So I just like, I settled that in my, in my own heart. And so I would when different situations would come up, whether they were small or big, you know, strangers or loved ones, it's like, okay, I need to learn this now. Um, and that that's, it's important to have drive when we're walking into these things. Um, it's important to have testimony. Testimony is not supposed to be a single marker. Like the Bible stories, the stories in the Bible, those are not just to like for us to read and be like that happened then and the end. It's these this happened here 
and it's supposed to happen again. This is like setting a precedence for things to be repeated. Um, and so I just wanted to impart, um, impart, not impart. We'll do that later, the impart, impartation. Um, but just like speak out some testimonies because some of these things are good for people to hear. Like we, pause. Everybody just pause. Everybody close your eyes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Hey guys, thanks for following me in faith. I just needed to like um, relieve some pressure right there. I just felt something in my heart and I just had to close my eyes for a second and I invited you on that journey. Okay, so um, this is me, I'm real. Um, the We have a friend, she's actually a worship leader here and um, she came back from a trip this summer and we had another friend who whose mom had been in an accident and become paralyzed from the waist down. And when our when our friend Kat came into town, um, she said to me after a few days, "Is Mark's mom still paralyzed?" With genuine shock, she said that. And I was like, "Yeah." And and something about when she asked me that, it shook me, and it shook me back into a place of like right perspective as a believer. You know, this is belief. Believers believe, right? We need to be believing that things will change when we address them. We need to be believing the things that we read about over our lives. When Jesus commissions us into things, he's not just like, here's a vague suggestion of what some people might someday walk in in certain parts. He's saying, come into this with me. Let's destroy the works of the devil. Come in, choose to believe. These signs will accompany my believers. And we that's for us to be like, okay, okay, let's do it. And start walking those things out. Um, so I started to like just like think about testimonies that I knew about. Knew personally that like it's wonderful to hear testimonies from all abroad. But I just like collect things that I know the people personally. Because for me... I need that. I need, like, when I'm pressing into something that's crazy and doesn't make sense and I see no evidence of it and I, I need to keep pressing in because that's just what needs to happen, I need to be able to think back to stories in my own life or in other people's lives around me where I can, I can look at them and, like, look them in the eyes and be like, oh, my gosh, this, this happened in your life and I was there for it. So I just I want to share some of those with you. These are real people. Some of them are here. Let's start with Chrissy. She's right there. Chrissy used to have narcolepsy. She came to our little healing sphere. We used to have a small group of healing, and we like went through this prayer session, and she got totally set free from that. Um, Dom, Dom's right there. He was just telling me the other day how he got saved. You had a what, broken collarbone. Yep, broken collarbone goes up for prayer, gets healed. That's how he gets saved. How cool is that, right? I got the story right, right? Okay. I mean, that's sweet. Um, our friend Morgan, my friend Morgan, she's like a sister to me. She's like my hero in faith. And like I, I knew her when she just kind of came in. She was a former Predators cheerleader and just like whatever. And she just like moved. I love seeing people come in and they're just like whatever. Maybe I believe in God, whatever. Uh, just those are way too many whatevers. But you guys hear me. 
And they come in and they're like underpowered, you know, just have no grid for any of this stuff. And they move and they become the people that I'm like, what do I do in my life? I don't know what to do. I love seeing people raised up from like here to way up there. That's my passion. Um, but she had, oh man, this is so good. She, Janae referenced this last week. She had a tumor in her ear. Oh, this is so sweet. She had a tumor. She goes to the doctor, and it was like the day that my friend was visiting his sister who had cancer, but she was just cleared of it. And uh, and she she calls him, and she's like, they just found a tumor in my ear, cancerous tumor. <laughs> and he comes to me, and he's talking to me. He's like, he's like really down. And I was like, Dave, you know, every, like, okay, I just, this is how I responded. I was like, you know, every person I can think of that I've known that had cancer in the last year, personally, doesn't have it anymore. I don't think it's the giant that it that it portrays itself to be. Well, Morgan responded to this diagnosis. She started being like, the doctors are telling me that I have cancer. She wouldn't even say that she had it. She'd say, the doctors are telling me this. And she just was like in such like zero agreement with it. And they were praying into it. It was like two months. And then she came into um, uh, City Beautiful Church. It was the night that Cole, I think it was the night he talked about tongues, maybe the week before. And she had to leave because she felt so nauseous. Well, she got delivered of cancer and it like popped, fell out of her ear, like it liquid fell out of her ear. And then she went back in the next day and they had the MRI results because she took that on the Friday before. She went in the next day. It shows that it's there. And she's like, I want another test. And they're like, well, you'll have to pay that out of pocket because this test proves it. And she's like, I'll pay for it. And when she when she got it back, nothing. Okay, so that's another one, Right. These are real stories. These are people. I mean, I called them the other day because I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do in life. Help me. And and they like pray over me. Another girl, this woman, Beth, she had all these tumors and they, they were praying. We were at a Friday night church when we, somebody gets the call that she's like totally healed. Um, oh, man, dude, one of our sweet friends, moms was like, because this isn't just healing. Like this is our, our faith needs to. Healing is great because it's like a really practical, tangible thing that um, it, it's just sweet. But it, it happens in all all areas. Um, one of my friends, um, his mom was like so tormented. Like she used to come to our prayer meetings and like flip out. She We'd be in the middle of prayer and she'd just start like cursing. I can't do this. And then she was like so tormented. She couldn't like drive out of state for her kids games and stuff and she got so set free that she is like one of the most powerful women i know she like had like does inner healing of people and all this stuff um last story there's got to be one more that's like a little different a little different oh oh my gosh okay i used to work at jimmy john's across the street it is what it is i tried to <laughs> um and while I was there, I, uh, man, there is, I just got to know a lot of people that didn't have money. I didn't have money either, but like I had a home. Um, and one of my friends, this lady, she would always ask me for m money. And just one day she was like at her wits end. And I was like, Brenda, can we pray? And we just, the way I pray, the way I pray, I typically declare things. Okay. Cause I, I believe I'm a son of God and he, I, I try and pray like Jesus prayed. We, Jesus would be like, be healed. You know, he would he would command things, say things uh, as though they were that weren't. 
Um, and he's invited us into that same position. So I don't typically pray like, Heavenly Father, would you do this? I just declare things a lot of times. So I was just like, I release income from heaven, that which was stored up and, and held back. I just release that into her life. Well, the next day she walks up and she's got new clothes on, bag of clothes and a bike. She's like, somebody give me all this stuff. One week later, she comes up and she's like, uh, I got a job down the street. Like, and for it, like, I think it was within a couple of weeks, she was not living on the streets anymore. She had a, a little hotel thing to rent. So it's like, these things, these are like, these should be more common stories. I love any story like this. Hello, when somebody gets healed of a headache, that's like, you got to celebrate the little. And um, can we get, can you put my magical slide up there? This is like, Practical steps for increasing in faith, okay? It's simple for everybody, um, for me. Um, step one, pray for things. You know, I so many people don't see crazy stuff happen because they don't pray for them. Like, if you want to see people healed, you're going to have to pray for them to get healed. Like, radical, bold prayers, you know? And, and spread it out. I was just hearing today, like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, like, pray for many things because when a prayer is answered, that's like, that's like food for your soul. You get to, like, that builds your faith. Um, but at the same time, I see a lot of times in our little circles where people will pray for, like, I pray for that and that and that and that. And, and, but there hasn't been a, a good rhythm of just, like, jackhammering one thing and just pressing into one thing. That's what that, that thing with Mark's mom was. We'd go to pray for it, and somebody would be like, oh, I pray that she's healed. And then they move on to the next thing. It's like, no, just keep after it. We need to learn to be persevering in that stuff. Give thanks, you know. Um, do not be anxious about anything, but in all things through prayer and thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. There's this rhythm, this like dance with God where you're, you're asking for something, and then you're giving thanks for that which you haven't even seen the fruition of. It's like putting your heart into alignment and agreement with the answers of heaven. Um, immerse yourself. Ryan was talking about that. Immerse yourself in a culture, in, in a surrounding that builds faith. Now, not everybody has like tons of friends that are like, yes, we like the promises of God are real or whatever. Um, and, and some people, it's, it's hard practically to put yourself in that setting. But there's little things you can do like, I, I've been driving out to St. Cloud every day for because I'm pet sitting out there, um, and and I had the option. I, I it's like really easy for me to turn on like NPR, but really quickly into that, I just started realizing I'm actually soaking in and absorbing declarations about this life that aren't consistent with the declarations of heaven, and that doesn't mean you have to avoid the news, but be aware of what you're filling yourself with. So I. I don't typically like Z88.3, but I turned it to there because I needed to be hearing some, something closer to truth being washed over me. So pray for things, give thanks about these things, and immerse yourself. And just like get into this flow of it and allow it to be like all of your life. Ryan. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, so... 
So let's go back to let's go back to that question. In which area of my life do I need more faith? We just want to take a moment. We want to come before the Lord. Just allow Him to reveal to each of us in our lives what's a specific place in my life that I need more faith. And, and, and we were talking even between gatherings. There's something so powerful about like, where's the place that doesn't have hope? Because that might be the place that needs a resuscitation of faith. So we're just going to take a moment and just reflect and just write something down in that paper. written something down on that paper, I want you to stand up. And I want you to hold it before you open-handed. Because we're going to take these things and we're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus as a sacrifice. That we're able to take the places in our lives where there's unbelief or a lack of faith or there's doubt or whatever it is. And instead of wrestling with it and fighting with it and trying to get it to be more presentable, we're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus as a sacrifice unto Him. As an invitation to increase our faith, to see the character of God manifest in these really specific places in our lives. So I want you just to hold that in your hand um, loosely. Hold it in front of you. Present it to Him in your mind's eye. I'm just going to invite uh, Lander to, to pray an impartation of faith. We talk about in this church in Matthew 10, Jesus says, whenever you receive in a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. And that's, that's how we all get exposed um, to the spiritual gifts is that when we hear these stories, we see what's possible, we begin to be able to live into those. So I'm just going to invite Lander to pray over us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to know. I felt like a specific thing uh, I felt like the Lord wanted to be said was, it says, my love persists in all things. In every piece of the process, in every thing that you're pressing into or not pressing into, where you feel like you've had faith or where you don't, he's, His love is still there. It doesn't affect His love. And His love is just there even when you don't see the results or what you thought you'd see. Um, yeah. But I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord that there is no lack in the kingdom of heaven. I thank you that even a declaration that there is a lack of faith is actually not quite right. So I thank you, God, that all of those things that were written down on those cards, that that is being released right now in Jesus' name. I just release hope and faith in every area of everyone's lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, that you are shifting mindsets even now. There are seeds that were planted tonight that actually, I just thank everybody here for receiving because there were seeds in the, like spiritual seeds that went into you and they will grow because not everything I always say is true, but like there's truth that has come out and it's planted in you because you opened yourself up 
in faith. You came into agreement with faith, and that will grow. I thank you, God, that you are raising up sons and daughters who walk as grown sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are, you've just like raised up these children that are willing to open themselves up to the greater things of God. And I thank you, Father, for a persistent faith. I just release persistent faith in everyone here. This persistent faith that does not bow to circumstances. This persistent faith that says no to the ways of the world, but says yes to the ways of heaven. I thank you, God, that you are opening eyes right now in the spirit that see the ways of heaven so that when the ways of earth don't match up with that, they can just simply declare on earth as it is in heaven. And here's how it is in heaven. Pow. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that you are just releasing faith that words spoken carry power. That words spoken will carry power. Receive that. Your words, yours, I'm speaking to everyone here. There's nobody here who doesn't have power in their words. I'm telling you, your words are spirit. Spirit comes out of your mouth when you speak words. This is like, this is real stuff. The things, the physical things are not the most real things. You have to know that. We believe that God is this spirit and he's so full. And there's so much more than what you can see, touch, feel. He loves to interact with that, but there's so much more than that. You need to believe that your words carry power. I thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.